Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and I'll ask you to stand if you're able. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice, and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine you are paralyzed in a day when medicine can barely treat most illnesses, let alone something as catastrophic as paralysis, where people commonly die from infections that we heal as a matter of course today. You can't move your muscles, but you may still be in pain. You may have muscle spasms that contort and torture you. You may have had a fishing accident that created your paralysis, or you may have eaten some bad fish, or any number of things that could cause paralysis even today. Then, you hear about a guy who was healed from leprosy. Or you hear about someone who was sick for a long time, and they've been healed You don't know exactly what's going on, but you gather your friends and they come and you decide to go and see this guy who's been healing people that you've heard about. So they carry you. They have to carry you. Maybe they have a donkey, so they lay you across the back of that. Maybe they have a cart they can put you in. But somehow you have to be carried to this place. 
And even if you live only a little way from Capernaum where you are going, this is not a pleasant journey for you because you have to be on your back. And it may even be the furthest you have been from home in all the time you have been disabled. Your friends may be getting more hopeful or more discouraged as you get closer, depending on their perspective. Some of them probably are like, I don't know why we're doing this. And some of them are probably like, this is going to be great. We have heard so much about this Jesus guy casting out demons, preaching. There's a certain air of expectation, cautious optimism. Then you get to the place. You get to the house where Jesus is teaching, and you can barely see the door. There are so many people. Everyone is crushed in. They're gathered in. And you have to carry this person on a mat somehow through a crowd. If you have ever been in a place where there are lots and lots of people, you know that this is not something you can easily accomplish. I have, on various occasions been in places where I've been trying to push a wheelchair through a crowd, and that has never turned out well. (laughs) There's always someone who kind of doesn't hear or doesn't see you, winds up with their toes run over. It's not fun. But if you're carrying a mat, that takes up even more space. Plus there are four of you doing so, and the person on the mat... So you've got to make your way through this crowd. But what you're seeing is is that there is no way you're going to be able to get through the door and get all the way in. It's just not going to happen. So, as with most homes in that day, there is a roof, a flat roof, that you can probably get through. So, you have to climb a ladder with this guy on a mat. These are very persistent friends. This isn't something you do lightly and casually. These are people who love this person and are willing to take the time and effort and energy that it takes to make this happen. They carry him up on the roof, and now they have to break through the roof in order to lower their friend to Jesus. Meanwhile, in the house, Jesus is teaching. And he's sitting there knowing what's about to happen. I cannot imagine that as he is teaching, he isn't noticing that someone is above him And further to that, that they're digging through the roof above him, which is actually the ceiling on his side, right? There's probably plaster dust falling onto his hair. The others around him are probably being disturbed by the commotion as well, not sure what's going to happen. And finally, 
The man is dropped from the ceiling because the friends have finally been persistent enough. And Jesus looks at you on this mat, looks at the man on this mat, and says, Your sins are forgiven. What? What? (laughs) That's not what anyone is expecting. Hang on just a second here. My friends carried me from all that way. They brought me up on the roof. They dropped me down in front of you. They went through so much. I'm in pain. All of this is excruciating. And uh, that's not what I came here for. My sins are forgiven. Your, your most, the most obvious desire here is to be able to walk. And Jesus says something so completely unexpected, so off target from what should happen, what we know he can do, but isn't what he does. And even though the man on the mat is not quite excited about this turn of events, the people that are hearing this teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are furious. They are freaking out to a major degree because what Jesus has just said is blasphemy. He is assigned to himself a tribute an attribute that only God has, and that is the ability to forgive sins. And what Jesus is really saying here when he does this is that he is God. But what they're hearing is this is impossible. They're hearing a scandalous thing. God is God, and this filthy Galilean who's walked all over the world with dust in his hair from a ceiling, cannot possibly forgive sins, cannot possibly be telling us that he thinks that he is God. It doesn't work that way. But this miracle sets up everything that follows. This is what Jesus came to do. Demonstrate his authority over sin. In fact, without the components of Jesus having the authority over sin, without the idea that Jesus is God and human, he's just a great teacher or a cool prophet or somebody who lived a long time ago who said some really interesting things. But what truly sets him apart is the fact that he is God and he is human, both completely. Since he is God, he has authority over sin. Since he is man, he is completely relatable to us. Things that we know and feel and do, Jesus knew and felt and did. 
knowing that the teachers of the law are offended. Probably the guy on the mat, too. Jesus turns his attention to what is happening. He looks the man in the mat full in the face and demonstrates that his authority over sin is equal to his authority over the natural and supernatural world. And he tells you to get up, and just like that, you are completely healed. Does the man on the mat forget that Jesus forgave his sins first? Maybe. But I doubt it because that is a compelling part of the story. It may have been surprising and a little disturbing, that turn of events. But somehow, I think he knew that deep In his heart, that first response was the one that really mattered. And since we all sin, and we cannot do otherwise since the fall, it is the gap between where we need to be perfect before a holy God and where we wind up desperate, shameful, broken people who are deserving of punishment, where we find Jesus, who came to earth to close the gap, to bring us back into relationship with God. He demonstrates in this miracle that he has done in this house, where the persistent friends carry the man on the mat to him. He demonstrates his authority to forgive sin, to triumph over sin. And through his perfect life and ultimate sacrifice, he does what has to be done. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and Jesus' life are less impactful if we don't see that he has authority over the sin that we live in. We don't have to live broken, desperate, shameful lives because Jesus can forgive our sins. You are the paralytic. You are that man. And when you come to Jesus, he looks you full in the face, right where you are, and he says, your sins are forgiven you. And that is a healing that changes everything. It's a healing that grows in us. It's a healing that moves us forward. It's a healing that shows us how much God loves us in the first place. And it's a healing that is a resurrection. It changes us from the inside out. It takes our dead and broken selves and resurrects us into the life that Jesus has called us to. If you pull out your blue sheets, 
We're going to go through our regular response at the end of the service. You would read what's bolded on your page as we go through. What does it mean to say God loves? God loves us to create us, to form us from the dust. God loves us to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loves us to provide a rescue, a way back. Through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, Redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.